0: Hello, I'm Peter Laws, and this is a sermon-only episode of the Creepy Cove Community Church podcast. If you'd like to hear the full church service, complete with strange comedy, special guests, and notices like you've never heard before, then all the shows are available for free. Just visit creepycove.com to find out more. But if you just want to hear a sermon, a time of quiet reflection, and a song, then this is for you. I'd be grateful if you could check out patreon.com forward slash creepycove to find out how you can support the show and get lots of exclusive member benefits. But for now, I'll shut up. Here's your sermon. Hey, everyone. It's uh, good to be back. And what a relief that gun wasn't real at all. I really thought it was, and I thought, man, we can't have two church murders in a row. That's just overkill. Hey. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay, well, let's turn our attention to the topic for tonight, which is following on from last week, where we were unpacking a really weird part of Christianity, something that is, uh, is, is bizarre in many ways. If you remember, we talked about this idea that Jesus, you know, this kind of central figure in Christianity, um, Jesus basically being God in a meat suit which I know sounds a bit icky, but technically that's what the theological idea of this thing called the incarnation is. That Christianity is a bit weird and unique in how it claims that God is like knowable and relatable and comes to us incarnated. Now, um, it doesn't matter if you believe in this stuff or not. You may just find this interesting from a kind of anthropological point of view or whatever. I don't. It, that's not the point. The point I'm trying to make is it's really it, it's a strange idea. Carn um, in the word incarnation, we said last week, is the same word for meat that you find in carnivore, uh, carnivore, chili con carne, that sort of stuff. And I was trying to share last week of how it's a very mind bending idea. The idea that a divine supernatural being called God has, you know, gone to the toilet, had toothache and body odor, maybe attempted a cartwheel or a forward roll. We're not. A, I'm not aware if he succeeded or failed in that. Um, the Bible does not record that information. But a fully kind of physical human person that is fully that, but is also fully, somehow, the kind of the presence of God on earth. And um, this is interesting because many of us have this concept of God, uh, and some of us don't believe in God because of this, perhaps, is this idea that God is irrelevant, like he's abstract, He's a distant figure. It's a bit like that. You remember that Bette Midler song, which always I thought made God out to be a bit creepy, where it's all like, um, God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. Yeah, thanks for that. Practice that. Um, But yeah, you know what I mean? This idea that, you know, God is is, is really far away. Where are you, God? All that sort of stuff. The idea of this incarnation claim is that God is not watching us from a distance, you know, like Michael Myers in the garden looking up at our window. That's not what it's like. He's he's like, he's in the room with us, like hanging out with us, wants to be actually close to us and um, be a, a friend, move in almost, you know, that's the idea. And it's this—it's this idea I want to explore tonight. This idea of God, like hanging around with us, because it's pretty wacky. Um, and to help us think about this, I want you to talk. I want to talk to you a little bit about James Bond. You, you're familiar with James Bond, the suave debonair Englishman. Yes, there's more than one of us, um, who is the uh, the world's most famous licensed serial killer. When you think about it. He's got this little card that allows him to kill people. I wonder if there's limits on that sometimes you know can he just like if he's on the london underground and he gets annoyed with somebody like with their headphones too loud can he just push people in front of the train when he's bored and then when the police come he just holds up his license to kill card card and they're like i'm sorry sir we thought you were a bog standard murderer but no I, i anyway i'm digressing here but think about james bond for a minute why is he so popular well because he's clever Tough, handsome, all those sorts of things. But most of all, I think it's because he's exciting. You know, like his life is always about action and dy- dynamism. He goes to beautiful locations, high stakes conflict. He has romance martinis, nights out in exotic casinos, his car's cool, and it, all these sorts of stuff. So. And have you noticed that to keep this exciting life going for the audience, there's something that James Bond never seems to do? And that is to stick around. Like, he doesn't stay in one location or one moment for very long. You don't see him, for example, doing the sort of stuff we do, all the mundane things. Have you ever seen James Bond in a, a long-term relationship that stretches across all the films? No. You know, like, do you ever see scenes when he's just, like, sitting with his partner trying to figure out what to watch on Netflix? You don't see James Bond scenes trundling a shopping trolley through Tesco and trying to decide which Pringles he wants when there's a two-for-one offer on. You you don't see any Bond movie which is about him taking his Aston Martin in for a service and he's sitting in the waiting room for like 45 minutes while they replace the windscreen wiper or refill the oil slick. That doesn't happen. Why? Well, obviously it doesn't happen because nobody would pay to see that. Well, I guess not. Because... James, Bo- The point of James Bond is that he's like a typical hero in fiction and that, he is, that is the f- sense that he gets the job done quick. He doesn't stick around, he, he chases cars, he kisses a woman, he shoots a baddie with facial disfigurement because, of course, in the James Bond world, physical deformity indicates evil, which is a pretty messed up uh, principle when you think about it. But anyway, that's another story. But my point is, James Bond does the business quickly then gets out and then goes off into the sunset. He's like, in some ways, I reckon, he's like a kind of hardcore version of Quantum Leap. Or like Lassie. There's that show about the dog. Or The Littlest Hobo. That was my version. Did anyone say The Littlest Hobo? I watched that as a kid. Maybe tomorrow I'll finally settle down. That was great, that show. The hero turns up. Does whatever he or she needs to get done and then gets the heck out of there you know that's how savior figures work in um in film and tv but let's just consider this idea of the incarnation in this christianity thing because you would think that a divine being who took on meat and flesh um you know you'd think maybe that he'd want to get that over as quickly as possible you know the idea of like um You know, this spectral cosmic being having to come down to our level. You think, oh, well, maybe God might say, listen, I'll do it for a week. (laughs) I'll get down, do what I need to do in a week, but then I'll slip away back to the sky, so to speak. I'll get in there, get out and say, wow, that was rough, but at least I delivered my message. It's it's like the same feeling you get when you go to the dentist. You You just get in there, get it over with and then get out. But in this bizarre religion, Christianity, God doesn't do that at all. He does something quite unexpected. I remember last week uh, when we looked at uh, John chapter one verse fourteen? We had that read to us again. The shocking bit where it says the Word that was God uh, became flesh—the God in meat bit. But tonight, I just want to look at the second part of that element, the second element of that verse, which is just as mind-boggling, where it says. Yes, the word, God became flesh, but then it says, and then the word made his dwelling among us. In other words, this claim is that God didn't just come to physically hang out with us for an episode to do what he needed to do quickly, quantum leap style. No, Jesus didn't even come for a three-week campaign or a year, but rather the idea is for a lifetime and for every minute. Of his thirty-three years, I mean, I've thought about this before. I thought, well, if he wanted to, like, there's no reason why Jesus couldn't have like rocked up at the age of thirty, like he could have just come strolling out of the desert, like a kind of mysterious stranger who people look at and say, "Whoa, who's this kind of cool guy who just stepped out of the desert?" I suppose. If God really wanted a virgin birth and still have that, Jesus could have been born as a fully grown man. If you've seen the uh, British sci-fi horror film extra, you'll know this is possible, though catastrophic for the mother, of course. But yeah, the, the New Testament tells us that Jesus' public ministry um, went on for three years before his death. and so you, he, easily, he easily could have just turned up for that bit. you know, the stage bit, the mysterious stranger, but no. This is the weird bit. He comes as like what looks like a random baby. He lives like the first 30 years of his life, really in like relative obscurity, like making tables for people, like being a carpenter and, um, you know, fixing people's wobbly chairs and stuff. Like for 30 years, if you've ever been, if you're living in your life, your life feels obscure at the moment. You're not like doing much and you haven't achieved a great deal. And you're, uh, you know, well, this claim is like, Jesus, the son of God, was just doing a normal, everyday life. But this idea of him coming as a baby, that's, that's pretty intense as well. They think about how vulnerable a baby is. And also, in a way, how, well, let's be honest, babies don't do much, do they? Like, no offense, but apart from being cute and stuff and making people fuzzy or nervous, depending on who you are, um, babies can't really do a lot. You know, it's not like baby make me a sandwich. Baby's like Meh. doesn't doesn't do anything. You know, you you can't chat to them about which Friday the 13th movie is the best. They, they they've got no clue. They can't feed themselves, they can't roll over. Um you could take a baby, leave it in the park on a cold winter's night and that baby probably wouldn't make it through the night because the the baby has no chance of escaping without someone else to help babies are the very definition of vulnerability and so this this incarnation principle says that an all-powerful god chose to make himself that vulnerable that's pretty wild you know he wanted to communicate with us on a long-term basis this is the claim um and uh, and so this also tells us something i think fairly encouraging uh, don't underestimate the worth of something that appears weak. Like if you feel small and insignificant and vulnerable or marginalized or, or that you're having to rely on other people, that has no bearing on your worth. That has no bearing on your value. Still, you remain priceless no matter what, even if you're having to rely on others right now. Now, interestingly, in this verse, this idea of God made his dwelling among us, the word dwelling, we've seen this word before, this uh, Greek word, Uh, John uses for dwelling here is S.K. Noson. And the base of that word in Greek basically means to pitch a tent, to dwell, or um, a kind of more religious sounding word to tabernacle. And if you were to look back in the old Testament, uh, the Israelites kept letting God down and he would tell them to do one thing. They would do another. And so what does God do? Does he stay in heaven and ignore them? God is watching you. He's annoyed by you, but he's watching you. Like, is that what he does? No. Um. Again, he 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 decides he wants to make his dwelling place among them in what's called the tent or the tabernacle. This skynosan idea, and um, you know. So if you've seen any of the old biblical epics, you know, with Charlton Heston and stuff. And uh, the ancient Israelites following a pillar or cloud of fire or having a tent with the holiest of holies in it. They did that. They've got that there because um, basically the principle is the same. God's like, I'm moving in. I'm going to hang out with you. Like, (laughs) like I want to live in your in your village, in your town, in your house. Um, There's a Bible translation called uh, The Message by this guy called Eugene Peterson, and he phrases the verse that we had read to us by Kilbot earlier, he phrases it this way Um, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's what it's like, basically. And so this idea is that um Jesus is the same thing. You know, God comes to us in meat, incarnated, to move into our neighborhood, to be with us. So so we can know what he's like. And that's that, you know that's one of the reasons why I'm still willing to call myself a Christian today. Because to be fair, if God was really like how some Christians paint him to be, I would not want to call myself a Christian. I wouldn't want to be part of that stuff. You know, like how God is so often painted as vengeful or prejudiced or judgmental or unkind, or that his love for people is conditional, or that it's all about reaching a level of moral perfection or being interested in certain areas of culture and not others, or um, or that they have to follow a very narrow expression of spirituality or vote for a particular party, or, you know, all these different things, and then God will love you if, as long as you fulfill all of this small criteria, or indeed, this image. That God is just waiting to smite us with glee, or that he's standoffish and watching us from a distance, or um that God likes to play brutal games with us just to teach us a lesson like jigsaw style, all of that sort of stuff. I'm sorry, that's not for me, right? That's that doesn't gel with me. The reason I'm willing to call myself a Christian is because I I prefer this method, which I think you see in the incarnation, which is God wanted us to know what He's really like, because we keep getting it wrong. We keep getting it mixed up. You don't. You don't have to believe all of these fire and damnation, judgmental, hateful preachers. What I like about this is like um, that you just have to realize that God recognized we were getting it wrong, and so God wanted us to know about His character. Um, and perhaps even that God recognized that some of the Bible writers um, were sometimes getting some of this stuff, uh, you know, presenting God in a vengeful and cruel way, let's say, because there's passages of the Bible you can look at and you go, man, that's intense, you know, um, that 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 seems cruel. And so what does God do? He turns up in the flesh to hang out and to teach the world that his character is actually about kindness, forgiveness, and love. That's something that resonates, I think, with most people you might have had a very negative experience of church or Christianity. Uh, I I host a podcast, everyone. Did you know this? I host a podcast called the Peter Laws Podcast, which comes out every week for people that are members of our Patreon program. And um, just recently, I we were sharing reader sto- uh, listener stories of their, their hurtful, painful, and negative experiences in, in church. So it happens. And sometimes it comes from a presentation of God, which frankly... Just doesn't look like Jesus. So you might ask, if if God exists, and of course that's a big if, he might not. But if he does, then he probably doesn't like you much. That might be the impression you get. Or that he puts up with you. Or that he's disillusioned with you. Or that if he had his way, he'd rather not get anywhere near you, but just watch you from a distance twitching through the curtains, maybe at a push. But that's just not what we see in Jesus, who's supposed to be the the, the full revelation of what God is actually like, in fact, have you ever heard that that line, which always sounds a bit cheesy? Some Christians can say it, and they'll say stuff like uh, "I let Jesus
1: into my heart,"
0: or they might say "Jesus lives in me." Well, that might sound strange and corny, but it really does reflect a core idea in the Bible that that Christianity is about saying, like, about saying, you know, God wants to be in my life, and so okay come on in, (laughs) you know, be in my life. Let's see what happens. Let's see if it works, which uh, it shows that rather than God wanting to stay away from us, that he wants to join us in the excitement of life, but also in the mundane nature of life, the boring stuff. And not in a weird, like I'm monitoring you for your moral performance. Like God is like stood in the corner, like ticking things off when he's like, Oh dear, you watched that. Did you like, not like that at all, but like as a companion, a friend, but also a source of strength and power when you need it. Uh, that's pretty cool. And, and, that, and that's why I'm connected with this stuff. That's that's why it matters to me, because in my life, I, do, I just find it to be a great resource, uh, this idea. Now, of course, it could all just be rubbish. There could be no such thing as God, or that if there is a God, then the Jesus version of God is a myth, and that uh, you know God really is much more like a kind of smitey-smitey type. It's possible. Of course it is. But I just find myself persuaded that there's something about this Jesus guy um, and that he is this billboard for what God's character is actually like. And so if I ever want to know what he's like, I don't look towards people. I don't look towards, you know, representations of God in, uh, in certain areas of culture. I'll just say, well, what does Jesus look like when I read about him? And he seems to value love and kindness and companionship. And that's a big deal. You see, if it's true, then this concept of the incarnation is really remarkable because it means that the claim is that basically God's walked in our shoes or trainers or whatever you wear. Book of Hebrews says uh, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. So, you know, God understands this is the claim. God understands what we're going through. Like some of you listening to my voice now, you are you're grieving for loved ones. Well, this claim of the incarnation is saying God's been there too. Like he is, He knows what it's like to have people alongside him and hugging them and hanging out with them and then them not being there anymore because they've died. Um, if you feel threatened or rejected or bullied or abandoned by others unfairly, um, the claim of the incarnation is that, well, God's been there too because Jesus went through all of that stuff. And this is the big one. If you are witnessing your own body failing you or rebelling against you and you are going through some sort of chronic pain or illness or or, or whatever, or maybe that of someone you know and love, astonishing as it sounds, this claim is to say, well, God has been there too because of this incarnation. So the incarnation, I wanted to talk to you guys about it uh, because it's just A really profound idea and and quite interesting. And I I think, right, and I'm going to finish off in a sec, but I'd say, I reckon in, in the kind of the top trumps of the miraculous, let's say, miraculous claims, I'd say the incarnation is even more profound than the resurrection. Uh, This idea that, you know, Jesus died on a cross and then rose again. I mean, that's pretty impressive, right? (laughs) I'm not trying to belittle that. But you kind of expect a God, if God existed, to be able to have power over life and death. It's expected. uh, The creation of the world in six days, whether or not it's six literal days or like through evolution and the Big Bang and... God was a kind of organizing principle behind evolution. Whatever you believe, right? Um, but again, that's amazing to think that you know that where the all this came from. But if if there is such a thing as God, if an entity like God really exists, then again, that's not that surprising that God can make stuff because he's like perfect and all powerful, able to do that. So really, he should be able to do that stuff tied by with his uh, hand tied behind his back, or even and don't get offended by this, but even Jesus dying on a cross, right? That's shocking, right? Of course it is. But then if he was just a prophet, like just a general, like religious teacher, um, well, a lot of people have been executed for their faith or for their beliefs. And as, as horrendous as crucifixion is, there are people in this world who have been tortured for longer and, um, which is not to say that cross isn't a big deal, but what I'm trying to say is what shoots all of these things into the stratosphere is the incarnation. Cause suddenly you're like, whoa, hang on a minute. Uh, if this was God incarnate, taken on meat and flesh, then God allowed his body to be tortured and die. But he didn't have to. That makes it much more mysterious and profound. And again. It's not that the idea of God creating the world um, is kind of expected in a way. He's got the power, but it's not really expected for God to do this, to become a baby. That's the thing about the incarnation, which is interesting and unique, because it stands in a different spotlight, I think, to other Christian ideas, because it's just so unexpected. (laughs) So there you go. Just a little dip into a pretty intense and fascinating idea, which you can feel free to take or leave, by the way. Um, But I just hope it gives you an insight into how strange Christianity is when you really think about it. That said, God took on meat, took on flesh. But not only that, that he stuck around. And why? So that we might get to know him, and know for certain what he's like. Okay then, well... We now come to a time of uh, prayer and meditation. And you know, as we go into this, I'm really conscious of what happened to Jackson um, being thrown off the cliff by a ghost and everything. And um, Verity too, who's in turmoil after what she did. So I just thought it might be a good opportunity for us to spend a moment in quiet, uh, where we, we admit that for some of us tonight, life is pretty horrible and complicated. So let's, uh, let's do that now. I want you to imagine that you are standing in the car park of Creepy Cove Community Church. The wind is up. So much, in fact, that you can almost feel the spray from the sea. Even though it's way, way down at the bottom of the cliff. And as you stand, you're just having a conversation with your mom. Nothing dangerous, nothing wrong. Until suddenly you are grabbed and dragged. And before you know it, the life you were in just a moment ago is shrinking and becoming further away. You stare down your legs and see the heels of your shoes cutting a hard line into the ground. Though you fight and struggle against this cold invisible arm holding you. No use. Because by the time you look back down at your shoes, look at them now. You see the ocean directly below you. You're falling. I want you to let this frightening image be a symbol of whatever is stressing you at the moment, but you're falling. You are dropping through the air, with nothing to hold you up. Every now and then you see branches and twigs to grab, but they are not strong enough the really strong ones, just out of your reach. And so you're falling. And all you can hear is the shriek of wind, the rushing explosive roar of the ocean underneath you. It's getting closer and closer. And the rocks. Experience this moment. Do not deny this moment. Do not deny your fear, your despair, your grief, your sadness, your loneliness. Because falling is often lonely. But as the honesty comes as you fall, I'm going to pray that another moment will come into that something on the wind, let's pray, God, if you're there, can you just look at us and see what's going on, for some of us we feel like we are tumbling through the air and life is just horrible, scary and shocking and lonely too. And so firstly, God, we pray, can you make it stop? Is there some way of you changing this situation so that we can find our feet again? People say you can perform miracles, then go for it, please. Sort these things out that are throwing us over. But God, if for some reason we keep falling, Can you do something unexpected? Can you cause a revolution to occur in our mind? Just as unexpected as you taking our flesh to be close to us. Can you give us some sort of peace that goes beyond all understanding? Can we be reminded that we are not alone? And that we have a companion? whether we believe in God or not. Renew our minds somehow, even in the midst of our falling. Help us to know that we have a future. And you know what? Give Jackson a future too, in Verity. In your name, amen. Okay then, well, thanks for that. Next time, when we meet together, by the way, um, we're going to be looking into the subject of romance. And uh, that should be interesting. But for now, uh, we are going to invite the band who we heard about earlier. And we are delighted that this week they are joined by the Creepy Cove Orchestral Society. And uh, yeah, woo! And um, they're going to be singing an Exorcist tubular in, bells inspired version of Abide With Me.
1: Fail and comforts flee Mm.
0: Crikey, that was epic. Um, Thank you so much for that and for the Creepy Cove Orchestral Society joining in. And thank you for coming to Creepy Cove. We'll see you again next time. For now, it's Well, thank you for listening to this sermon-only edition of Creepy Cove Community Church Podcast. You can find more sermons, but also full services as well if you wanted to check out creepycove.com. Remember, support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash creepycove or visit creepycove.com and sign up to the Peter Laws newsletter so you can stay in the loop. Have a great week. Take care.